Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living A Course in Miracles. This is season five, and it's called The Book Club. We're on chapter 29. Welcome back. We're coming to the end of this incredible book. This chapter focuses on understanding what our true roles are and the purpose of those roles. The awakening is part of our journey. We need to see our lives as they truly are and no longer as we want them to be. We decide our next steps and the Holy Spirit will guide, comfort, and heal us on our journey. Fear is our enemy here, and it is so widely and regularly used to confuse and isolate us. Ask yourself, what are you afraid of? Death? Well, this book has made it crystal clear there is no death. Are you afraid of life? This is a scary world, but if death is not an option, then what do you have to lose? To live your life and choose love and joy is an option. It's not only an option, but a guarantee if you let go of the past and live in this moment. Today, we'll begin chapter 29, The Awakening. I'll cover the following sections, the closing of the gap, the coming of the guest, God's witnesses, dream roles, forgiveness, and the changeless dwelling place. So let us begin. Chapter 29 is on page 606. And paragraph one starts like this. There is no time, no place, no state where God is absent. There is nothing to be feared. Sentence five says, for it would mean his love could harbor just a hint of hate. His gentleness turns sometimes to attack and his eternal patience sometimes fail. All this do you believe when you perceive a gap between your brother and yourself? How could you trust him then? Him being meaning God, for he must be deceptive in his love. Be wary then. Let him not come too close and leave a gap between you and his love through which you can escape if there be need for you to flee. Paragraph two says, here is the fear of God most plainly seen. For love is treacherous to those who fear since fear and hate can never be apart. No one who hates but is afraid of love and therefore must he be afraid of God. Certain it is he knows not what love means. He fears to love and loves to hate. And so he thinks that love is fearful and hate is love. This is the consequence the little gap must bring to those who cherish it and think that it is their salvation and their hope. So the gap they're talking about, so this is a closing, the gap is that gap we put between each other. And with that gap there, all that insecurity is there. All that mistrust is there. And the closing of the gap is to get closer. So you don't see that mistrust. You don't see that hatred. You don't see that fear. And that that other person is someone you love and respect and trust with your whole heart. No questions asked. Paragraph three says, the fear of God, the greatest obstacle that peace must flow across has not yet gone. The rest are past, but this one still remains to block your path and make the way to light seem dark and fearful, perilous and bleak. You had had decided that your brother is your enemy, sometimes a friend, perhaps, provided that your separate interests made your friendship possible a little while, but not without a gap perceived between you and him, lest he turn again into an enemy. Let him come close to you and you jump back as 
you approached, did he but instantly withdraw? A cautious relationship and limited in scope and carefully restricted in amount became the treaty that you had made with him. Next page on 607 says, paragraph four says, the gap between you and your brother is not one of space between two separate bodies, but this but seems to be dividing off your separate minds. It is the symbol of a promise made to meet when you prefer and separate till you and he elect to meet again. And then the, your body seemed to get in touch and the hereby signify meeting place to join. But always it is possible for you and him to go separate ways. Conditional upon the right to separate will you and he agree to meet from time to time and keep separate apart in intervals of separation, which do protect you from the sacrifice of love. So here it's talking about, you know, it's the conditional stuff, right? You know, you keep that space, you keep yourself safe. You don't allow that person to get too close. You don't allow there to be no gap between you because love is a sacrifice in this world. I'm going to give wholeheartedly to you and take the risk that you're going to crush my heart. Nobody has that power. The only one who can crush your heart is you. And a lot of people don't understand that. And that crushing of the heart is just you with separate setting up what you think love is. Paragraph five, sentence three says, and herein lies its power over you. For now you think that it determines when your brother and you meet and limits your ability to make communion with your brother's mind. And now it tells you where to go and how to go there, what is feasible for you to undertake and what you cannot do. It dictates what its health can tolerate and what will tire and make it sick. And its inherent weaknesses set up the limitations on which sorry, limitations on what you would do and keep your purpose limited and weak. Paragraph six is the body will accommodate to this. If you would have it so, it will allow but limited indulgences in love with intervals of hatred in between. And it will take command of when to love and when to shrink more safely into fear. It will be sick because you do not know what loving means. And so you might misuse each circumstance and everyone you meet and see in them the purpose, in them a purpose not your own. Paragraph seven says, it is not love that asks a sacrifice, but fear demands the sacrifice of love. For in love's presence, fear cannot abide. For hate to be maintained, love must be feared, and only sometimes present and sometimes gone. Thus is love seen as treacherous, because it seems to come and go uncertainly and offer no stability to you. Next page. Paragraph, this is page 608, paragraph 8 says, The body, innocent of goals, is your excuse for veritable goals to hold and force the body to maintain. You do not fear its weakness, but its lack of strength or weakness. Would you know that nothing stands between you and your brother? Would you know there is no gap behind which you can hide? There is a shock that comes to those who learn their savior is their enemy no more. There is a weariness that is aroused by learning that the body is not real. And there and there are overtones of seeming fear around the happy message, God is love. 
And then paragraph nine says, yet all the happiness, sorry, it got, <laughs> paragraph nine says this, yet all that happens when the gap is gone is peace eternal, nothing more than that and nothing less. Okay. So this um, paragraph is called the closing of the gap. And this is emphasizing, stressing that in order to have that connection with God, you have to close the gap between yourself and all your brothers and sisters in this world. You have to stop mistrusting. You have to stop using love as a sacrifice and conditional. You have to love everybody exactly the same and hold no attachment to anything. Easier said than done. I know. Parag- oh, sorry. Uh, section. The next section is the coming of the guest on page 608. Paragraph one starts like this. Why would you not perceive it as release from suffering to learn that you are free? Why would you not acclaim the truth instead of looking on it as an enemy? Why does an easy path so clearly marked, it is impossible to lose the way, seem thorny, rough, and far too difficult for you to follow? It is not because you see it as the road to hell instead of looking on it as a simple way without a sacrifice or any loan to find, or any loss, sorry, to find yourself in heaven and in God until you realize you keep, you give nothing up until you understand there is no loss. You will have some regrets about the way that you have chosen and you will not see the many gains your choice has offered you. Next page, 609, paragraph three at the top says, it has been hopeless to attempt to find the hope of peace upon a battleground. It has been futile to demand escape from sin and pain of what was made to serve the function of retaining sin and pain. For pain and sin are one illusion as are hate and fear, attack and guilt, but one. Paragraph four says, your guest has come. You asked him and he came. You did not hear him enter for you did not wholly welcome him. And yet his gifts came with him. He has laid them at your feet and asks you now that you look upon them and take them for your own. He needs your help in giving them to all who walks apart, believing they are separate and alone. They all be healed when you accept your gifts because your guest will welcome everyone whose feet have touched the holy ground whereupon you stand and where his gifts for them are laid. Paragraph six, a little bit further down, says, such is the promise of the living God. His son has life and each and every living thing be part of him and nothing else have life. What you have given life is not alive and symbolizes but your wish to be alive apart from life, alive in death, with death perceived as life and living and living death. Confusion follows on confusion, but for confusion has this world been based and there is nothing else it rests upon. Paragraph seven says at the bottom says buried the body does not change. It represents the larger dream that next page change is possible to change is to attain a state. Unlike the one in which you found yourself before there is no change in immortality and heaven knows it not yet here on earth. It has a double purpose for it can be made to teach opposing things and they reflect the teacher who is teaching them. 
the body can appear to change with time, with sickness, and with health, and with events that seem to I seem to alter it. <coughs> Sorry. Yet this but means the mind remains unchanged in its belief that what the purpose of the body is. Paragraph nine. Sickness is a demand the body be a thing, not that it is not. Its nothingness is guaranteed that it can not be sick. In your demand that it be more than this lies the idea of sickness, for it asks that God be less than he really is. Paragraph nine says the body that is asked to be a God will be attacked because its nothingness has not been recognized. And so it seems to be a thing with power in itself. As something, it can be perceived and thought to feel and act and hold you in its grasp as prisoner to itself. And it can fail to be what you demanded that it be. And you will hate it for its littleness, unmindful that the failure does lie. Ew, sorry, that the failure does not lie in that it is not more than it should be, but only in your failure to perceive that it is nothing. Paragraph 10. As something is the body asked to be the God's to be God's enemy, replacing what he is with littleness and limit and despair. It is his loss you celebrate when you behold the body as a thing you love or look upon it as a thing you hate. For if he be the sum of everything, then what is not in him does not exist, and his completion is its nothingness. Your Savior is not dead, nor does he dwell in what was built as temple unto death. He lives in God, and it is this that makes him savior unto you, and only this. His body's nothingness releases yours from sickness and from death, for what is yours cannot be more or less than what is his. So that is the coming of the guest. So talking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in our life and asking the Holy Spirit to take on that role and to guide you and comfort you and heal you on this life past, on, on this choice that we've made about our lives. The next part of this chapter is called God's Witnesses on page 611. God's Witnesses actually start on paragraph two, on page 611. Uh, paragraph two starts like this. Think you the father lost himself when he created you? Was he made weak because he shared his love? Was he made incomplete by your perfection? Or are you the proof that he's perfect and complete? Paragraph three, within the dream of bodies and of death is yet one theme of truth. No more perhaps than just a tiny spark, a space of light created in the dark where God still shines. You cannot wake yourself yet you can let yourself be awakened. You can overlook your brother's dreams so perfectly you can forgive him his illusions. He becomes your savior from your dreams. And as you see him shining in the space of light where God abides within the darkness, you will see that God himself is where his body is. Paragraph four at the bottom. Make way for love, which 
you did not create, but which you can extend. On earth, this means forgive your brother that the darkness may be lifted from your mind. When light has come to him through your forgiveness, he will not forget his Savior. Um, leaving him unsaved. And it was in your face he saw the light that he, next page, would keep beside him as he walks through darkness to the everlasting light. And paragraph five says, how holy are you? The son of God can be your savior in the midst of dreams of desolation and disaster. See how eagerly he comes and steps aside from heavy shadows that have hidden him and shines on you in gratitude and love. Paragraph five, a little bit further down says, and now the light in you must be as bright as shines in him. This is the spark that shines within the dream that you can help him waken and be where his awakening, oh, sorry, be sure his awakening, waking eyes will rest on you. And in his glad salvation, you are saved. Uh, the next sex. Oh, before I go on to that, that is the coming. Nope, that is God's witnesses. So you're just talking about how we're all witnesses to God and how that connection between our brothers and the Holy Spirit is that connection to God. And that's what makes us witnesses onto God. Um. Dream Rolls is next on page 612. Do you believe that truth can be but some illusions? They are dreams because they are not true. Their equal lack of truth becomes the basis for the miracle, which means that you have understood that dreams are dreams and that escape depends not on the dream, but only on awaking. Could it be that some dreams are kept and others awaken from? Could it be some dreams are, no, sorry, the choice is not between which dreams to keep, but only if you want to live in dreams or awaken from them. Sentence seven says, you cannot dream some dreams and wake from some, for you are either sleeping or awake and dreaming goes with only one of those. Paragraph two, the dreams you think you like would hold you back as much as those in which you fear is seen. For every dream is but a dream of fear, no matter what the form it takes. The fear is seen within, without, or both. Or it can be disguised in pleasure form, but never is it absent from the dream. For fear is the material of dreams from which they are all made. Their form can change, but they cannot be made of something else. Next page, which is 613, paragraph four says, when you're angry, is it not because someone has failed to fill the function you allotted him? And is it not, does this not become the reason your attack is justified? The dreams you think you like are those in which the functions you have given have been filled. The needs which you ascribe to meet are met. Sentence six, dreams are not wanted more or less. They are denied or not. And each one represents some function that you have assigned. Some goal <clears throat> which an event or body or a thing should represent and should achieve for you. If it succeeds, you think you like the dreams. If you should fail, 
you think the dream is sad. Paragraph six. What is your brother for? Do you know because your function is obscure to you? Do you ascribe a role to him that you imagine would bring happiness to you? And do you try to hurt him when he fought, when he fails to take the part that you assigned to him in what your dream of life <clears throat> was meant to be? He asks for help in every dream he has, and you have helped, you have helped to give him if you see the function of the dream as he perceives its function. Who can utilize all dreams as meant to serve the function given him? Because he loves the dreamer, not the dream. Each dream becomes an offering of love. For at its center's center is his love for you, which lights whatever form it takes with love. Okay, so that is dream rolls. So I'm just giving you another little, sorry, my sinuses just got suddenly clogged. I don't know what's going on. Um, so that gives you an idea of, you know, dream roles in our life and, and what we assign to people. So these roles that we give people in our lives are roles we've assigned to them. We've decided that's what they should be. They're not real. They're just our ego's decision on what those roles will be and how those people will fulfill those roles. And then the last section I'm going to cover today is called the changeless dwelling place. There is a place, paragraph one says, there is a place in you where the whole world has been forgotten, where no memory of sin and of illusion lingers still. There is a place in you which time has left and echoes of eternity are heard. There is a resting place so still, no sound except the hymn to heaven rises up to gladden God the Father and the Son. Where both abide, they remembered, they remembered both. And where they are is heaven and is peace. So it's telling us right off the hop, this is what, there is a part of us in our memory that knows this, that knows exactly this, what I'm about to continue saying. Think not that you can change their dwelling place for your identity abides in them and where they are forever must you be. The changelessness of heaven is in you so deep within that nothing in this world but passes by unnoticed and unseen. The still infinity of endless peace surrounds you gently in its soft embrace, so strong and quiet, tranquil in the night of its creator. Nothing can intrude upon the sacred son of God within. Paragraph three says, here is the role the Holy Spirit gives to you who wait upon the son of God and would behold him, waken and be glad. He is a part of you and you of him because he is his father's son and not for any purpose you may see in him. Nothing is asked of you but to accept the changelessness and eternal uh, that abide in him for his identity is there. So really interesting, again, starting off right this section saying that we can dream whatever we want. We can create whatever we want in our minds, but that's not going to change what is changeless and what is endless. And that is heaven. And that is where God resides. And it's not in this space-time continuum. It's outside of it. And if we can accept that that exists, then we'll move closer to it each day as we start to embrace that and bring that as part of our lives. Paragraph four says, this sacred son of God is like yourself, the mirror of his father's love for you, the soft reminder of his father's love by which he was created and which still abide, bides in him as 
it abides in you. Paragraph five says, there is no gift the Father asks of you, but that you see in all creation, but the shining glory of his gifts to you. Behold his son, his perfect gift, in whom his Father shines forever, and to whom it is all creation given as his own. Because he has it, it is given you, and where it lies in him, behold your peace. Next page, which is page 615. Paragraph six starts like this. If you but knew the glorious goal that lies beyond forgiveness, you would not keep hold of any thought, however light and touch of evil on it may appear to be, or the touch of an evil on it that may appear to be. Paragraph seven, a dream is given you in which he is your savior, not your enemy and hate. A dream is given you in which you are the forgiven him for all his dreams of death. A dream of hope you share within him. Instead of dreaming evil separate dreams of hate, why does it seem so hard to share this dream? Because unless the Holy Spirit gives the dream its function, it was made for hate and will continue in death's service. Paragraph eight, such is the core of fear in every dream that has been kept apart from use by him who sees a different function for a dream. When dreams are shared, they lose the function of attack and separation, even though it was for this that every dream was made. All right. So that is the changeless dwelling place. Again, trying to tell us that nothing's changed. In this world, things change because we have the time-space continuum, and we think that this is real, and we plod through our lives thinking that we're moving forward or moving towards something. But in fact, we don't change. This is just the illusion that plays out in this world. We do not change. That's hard for people to grasp and put around their put around their minds, minds around it. All right. So next in two weeks' time, we will complete chapter 29, which is called The Awakening, and I'll cover the following sections. Uh, forgiveness in the end of time, seek not outside yourself, the Antichrist, and the forgiving dream. That will complete 29 and we'll move on to 30. My online book club is on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If anyone is interested in joining, please email me. There is no cost involved in attending. Thanks for listening. I can be contacted by email at trifectanow3 at gmail.com. If you'd like to ask a question, share a comment, or just ask for a prayer or blessing. Keep sharing the love. Remember, this is our journey. Let us together find our way. Live in this moment. It's the only one that truly matters. Always love. Denise.